Hey, welcome to the Missio Day podcast. Check us out on the web at missiodeschicago.com. I just want to read this passage again. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence. We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man did nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, truly, I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. His first cry was, nothing wrong. This man has done nothing wrong. We are punished justly for we are getting what our deeds deserve, but this man has done nothing wrong. So many times I think that we did not recognize the Savior of our souls because our souls were so unrecognizable that our, the wickedness that had come upon humanity is actually the evil that crucified Christ, that we didn't, couldn't even see him as being a Savior. My question becomes, will we recognize him now? Would we recognize him today? How would he look? Would he be outside of our norm? It says in Isaiah that he wasn't lovely to look upon. And as he is going to the cross experiencing this darkness, that actually he was beat in a way that he didn't even look human anymore. What would that look like today for us? How is it that Jesus is hanging there in the company of people who were known criminals, that his own life, was even traded for Barabbas, who, you know, in Mel Gibson's version of the movie, looks pretty evil, (laughs) looks pretty demonic. That life, the perfection, the innocence that Jesus lived in was traded for a man that was so wicked. It shows that how twisted our minds can become or our understanding of the way that we walk in in our role with society, that it actually takes the teeth and the power and the authority away as believers when we become married to a system that has us assign inherent criminality to some and not so much to others. You may be surprised and shocked to understand that I have inherent criminality assigned to me. No matter what I do, and it affects my behavior every day, there's a reason that I'm afraid to walk down my alley anymore because I was accosted once by the police for walking down my alley. I live in Oak Park, and, you know, it's a great, amazing place that so many people aspire to. I was but steps from the church that I worked at, and I was told to give them my ID. They wanted to know who I was, what I was doing there. A friend of mine who has lived in Oak Park for probably about 15 years asked him, has that happened to him? He said, it's never happened to him before. Seems like so many times I am seeking to shrug this off, that I am not a criminal, that I am a nice guy. I am a positive person. I wouldn't hurt you more than your grandmother would try to hurt you. And this causes me to be something that I'm not sometimes, where I'm shrinking and becoming a a different person than who I actually am. And I so love Jesus because he can identify with this. That here he is on a cross in a company of sinners, in a company of thieves, having an inherent criminality attached to him. No matter what he did, the goodness in his heart, it was, this is who you are. 
This is who you're called to be. And I think on my sons, my beautiful, amazing sons who one day may have criminality attached to them simply because of who they are. And as an optimist, always I would say, this is going to change. It's not always going to be this way. Is it? Is it going to change? And I would argue that it's not if enough good people don't do the work of justice. If we don't take up the mantle of our Savior who in his pain and in his hurt could raise a different standard. So my question for you is, what standard are you under right now? The Chicago flag, which is amazing and wonderful, um, one of the most beautiful designs I've ever seen on a flag. It represents the first star is the founding of Fort Dearborn in 1803. Second star is the Great Chicago Fire of 1871. The third star is the Great Columbia, Columbian Exposition of 1893. And the fourth star is the Century of Progress, what happened in 1933-34, but it was to commemorate the 100 years since Chicago became a town. Now, when you see this flag, you know, and the top represents, you know, Michigan and the river and the bottom represents something else. When you see this flag, we are automatically filled with pride and understanding for our city is amazing. What's not in this is a lot of struggle. What's not in this is the most, one of the most segregated cities in America, that our comfort is actually built on the guaranteed poverty of others. It's crazy to think about, but all this is in the flag. This is the standard that we live under that is kind of receives our assignment or receives our blessing by silence a lot of times, knowing that God's heart is for us to be those who release prisoners who are captive. And in the story of the thieves, they were justified by speaking to Jesus. The one thief was actually justified by speaking to Jesus by his confession and saying, this man had done nothing wrong. In other accounts in the Gospels, it speaks about how um, they hurled insults upon him at first. They said, Ah, ha, ha, look at you, you're up here with us, you know. Give it a little bit of time, hanging up there. And one of them said, oh, hold on, whoa. I've never seen anyone suffer with such dignity. I've never seen anyone do the things that he's doing. And he said, we are punished justly for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. He is crying out because of the condemnation that has come under the current standard. If that is a standard that would crucify the perfect Savior, we have to always think about those who can't cry out for themselves as somebody is crying. <laughs> this thief was justified by confession and repentance. So much under duress. 
And Jesus is aware constantly of those who are on the margins and not in the middle. One thing history has proven is that if you think you are in, you are actually out. When we array ourselves to the world as those who are insiders and someone else who is outsiders, we are missing the point. Jesus blurred those lines so much, and he was constantly, I imagine his arms being open, constantly bringing those on the margins in, that we have been grafted in, that we are actually all on the margins for all you insiders, unless you're Jewish. Lizzie. We are all on the margins. God has grafted us into this tree and made us a part of this family, brought us in as orphans, as Gentiles, we get to enter into this family. But yet and still, we perpetuate this cycle of saying, who are those that are there? That's not what I go. That's not what I do. And this is the world that I move in. And So many times I would think that it would kind of cloud the hope and joy and optimism that I should have by saying the way the world is. Bless you. But I think we get to raise the standard. We get to raise the standard by seeing the way Jesus did here. We are all on the margins. Whiteness does not exclude us from the margins because Jesus is the way by which we find our way to the middle. And then in the second passage, he says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Remember me. And Reed pointed out to me this week that this was sort of the same prayer that the mother of the sons of Zebedee had, which one of my sons are going to sit on your right hand and your left hand when you come into your kingdom? And that whole passage culminates in Matthew 20 and 25 through 28 that says, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to first must be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Sometimes, somehow we become convinced that our power and our authority as believers is supposed to come through another route. That it's not actually through serving and making ourselves lower and standing up for those who don't have anything, who can't stand up for themselves. That the cries God in his encounter with Moses, he says, the cries of my people have come up, these deafening cries of injustice that happen, and the indifference that the world makes us stand under the standard of. But God is calling us to something greater. He's calling us to something higher. He's calling us to reset the standard of what justice is supposed to look like. That's why I love this justice initiative that I hope everybody has signed up to do. It brings it to our front door. How do we 
not just run out and go do something real quick. I got to give somebody a hot dog. Let me go do something. It's saying, how do I work on the way I see people? Am I fearful when I get in the elevator with somebody who looks like me? How, how am I engaging in lowering the standard that Jesus set when he encounters those on the margins? How do I engage with it daily? I'm not all, like the big, amazing demonstrations are awesome. I'm really more interested in those things that happen every single day that we move through life and we are witnessing sometimes, which for Christians, much less for non-Christians, are shameful practices of racist jokes, of, you know, shameful real estate practices, of policing strategies, of all these things that happen through history that we look back and say, those were wrong. Those were really wrong. But even now, we have people who have accepted Jesus in their heart who are witnessing those things on a daily basis and full yet full of indifference. And we are asking Jesus, hey, who's going to be, who gets to be the boss? Do I get to be on your right hand or your left hand? He's like, no, 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 you got it all wrong. You don't want to be on my right or my left hand. And none of the disciples did. They were gone. They were deserted him at that time. In a parable, the story of Jesus talking about the sheep and the goats, the right hand the sheep come in, the left hand or the goats, they're saying, like, so surprised, like, God, how did I, when did I take care of you, Jesus? When did I care for you? He says that when you did it to the least of these. Somehow we have divorced ourselves from our call, our charge, our admonition to care for those who are poor, who are hungry, who are experiencing injustice on a daily basis. I don't know how we've done that. But somehow that has become what we've done. When in reality, what if I told you all of your authority rests on the margins? Every bit of authority and power that we are trying to seek through political means, through separate means, through aligning ourselves with one party or the other is actually found on the margins. Why is that crazy? Because that's the very place that we are afraid of. You don't go there. You don't do this. You don't move there. It's as if we have this trust fund that is built up for all eternity, and it is in the place that we are the most afraid to be and to go. And it continues to build interest all these years. I had a dream once, and in a dream I was driving this car, and I uh, came to a wreck. And as soon as I came to the wreck, it was a cop standing in the road directing people to go around it. As soon as I came up to it, it was Jesus. The cop was Jesus. And I got out, and um, um, I asked him if I could help. Everybody else was just directing their cars around him and, and just kept going. I asked him if I could help. He directed me to do some things, go talk to some people, um, collect some clues. And then I woke up with this idea, where do... Police officers have the most authority. They have the most authority in a place where a crime has been committed. When someone has broken the law, they could do whatever they want to do to keep you from going home, to completely disconnect you from what is normal for you. Where do we as believers have the most authority? We have the most authority where crimes have been committed in the spirit, where people are experiencing injustice. That's where we have our 
greatest amount of authority. And so I woke up and decided to do something about it. I lived in Oak Park at the time. I'm like, all right, God, what should I do? It's like, all right, drive, take the train the furthest you can to the worst neighborhood you can think of. Okay. So I got on a train, took it to the worst neighborhood I can think of, and got out. I was in Inglewood, you know, a lot more sirens than the neighborhood I was living in. A lot more trash on the ground, a lot more, you know, you check the list off. And I walked around a block and asked people if I could pray for them. I didn't know what else to do. Asked people if I could pray for them. And I walked by an 18-year-old guy and said, hey, is it all right if I pray for you? He was like, uh, hold on one second. Like, okay. Should I just wait here? He's like, yeah. So I just stood there and... Off he walks to his house, and I could see him. As soon as he approaches his house, a woman comes out with a butcher knife and starts to threaten him. She's like, get out of here. What are you doing? You're not supposed to be here. And I'm like, Holy Spirit. <laughs> what, what should I do? And he says, go over there. So I go over there. And they got like this little table sometimes in a the hood. They have like the little people selling candy and pickles and stuff. So I kind of like ease up to this table and I start talking to them about how peace is more powerful than violence. And, you know, I find out that this is the young man's grandmother. And because his life is so chaotic and he makes her house so chaotic that she knew the only way that to keep him out was with a knife. And I'm sitting there talking to them about how great, you know, reconciliation is and peace. And they're like, who are you? <laughs> I'm like, uh, I'm Bam. I'm pretty sure God sent me down here just to talk to you guys. And in that moment, I could see him and his grandmother becoming reconciled. And this young man gave his life to Jesus, which was wonderful. And it made me think of the authority that we have as believers. And as the thieves on the cross, are we the thieves that are trading our authority for power? Are we trading our authority to actually change the world for the power of status, of money, of all these things that pull us to find a place in this world and be significant. All of your significant was contained in you as we open our hearts to Jesus. And no power can match the authority that Jesus has. Heard this quote last week that justice is love walked out in public. It is I love you on a public scale for us to be justice seekers and hope carriers. This verse in Luke 18, and, and will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep pulling, putting them off? Remember me when you come into your kingdom. Remember me when you're sitting in a cozy, comfortable place. Remember me. when I'm struggling to feed my children. Remember me. List goes on and on and on and on. For out of sight, out of mind, it's not our call. We are called to raise the standard. 
not to live under it and to say, what am I supposed to do? I don't know. Things have been like this for so long. I'm just going to leave them the way they are. And Jesus is saying, come on. There's more. There's more for you. It's time for us to raise it and find and get back to our true authority, our true power that can answer the cries of this country, that can answer the cries of our city. I always think about the sirens, where sirens are prevalent, how they start to mirror those cries in the city. And those sirens were the ones that were trying to get Odysseus to crash into the rocks. This is sometimes this deafening sound of people asking for us to activate our authority and not our power that stands in juxtaposition to this world. Jesus answered him, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Today. Just completely flipping his his understanding of who he is. Because of his confession, because of his repentance, he is now welcomed with open arms into a kingdom where Jesus at his darkest hour is being called the Savior. Nailed to a cross, suffering, yet innocent, and not even saying that he's innocent. Bearing his inherent criminality and in the midst of it, maintaining his divine authority. In Isaiah 58, 19, it says, Though the enemy comes in like a flood, the Lord will lift up a standard against them. That is the standard that we get to engage with. Maybe you were created for such a time as this. You are the one to call down those shameful practices, to say, oh, whoa, no, I'm shutting down that joke right now. Maybe you are the one who your indifference and silence has reached its cusp, its edge, its final place. Maybe you are the ones to stand up for those who will never reach some of the rooms and some of the areas of influence that you have. How has justice actually changed you and given you different eyes to look at a world? In Esther 4.14, Haman, Esther's uncle, says to her, Where will deliverance come from if not from you, but maybe you were created for such a time as this, where polarity is high, where racism is exposed like it's never been before. Our silence and indifference is deafening to the cries of this world. There's this quote by John Carroll that says, The mission of Jesus, the innocent Savior King, is to seek and save the lost, to forgive and restore the sinful, And this mission continues even at his own cross, the emblem of the counter-empire, an alternative system of power and of social relation. We get to have a decision. Is it the power of the world or is it the power of compassion, justice, and understanding? 
I want to read you this poem. And it's called The Standoff. In these stolen moments, we wait silently with bated breath for our Savior to appear. All regal in majesty, the time is near. Wisdom lies with those who tell the truth. And freedom collects in the reservoir of pain when authority comes from above. We would stake this world's nod of legitimacy as writ, and he waits for our frustrated crescendo to action. Into the darkness, light of life in fraction. Comfort kills our determination, creating distance between you and me. We never needed permission. Only hands to the Great Commission. Then counteracted courage comes back into focus. We find our hearts have a locus in him. My call, my admonition to you is to raise the standard of justice. Is to raise our standards of interaction. To let not a moment go by where we witness and hear the cries of other, others and create distance. In this way, we are always called to ask the question, what will our standard be as Missio Dei community, as individuals? Will it be status quo that says everything is all right, <laughs> we don't need to do anything differently? No, no. Or will be be those who take up the cause of justice and defend the poor and defend those that we don't need. Always our test for justice and our test of love is the way we love those who can do nothing for us. But I believe I'm hopeful even in the midst of all this reality that I won't always have to be afraid to go certain places. That I won't always have to worry about is somebody worried about me. That I won't always have to consider and overconsider the white people in my environment because I could be scaring them. One day I won't always have to overconsider that. And as we see Jesus on the cross who is walking in his authority and saying, no, today is when it's supposed to happen. Today is the day where we raise the standard. Today is the day where we change. Don't start from where you left off. Start from where you are. And we will see and experience a world that is greater than we could ever imagine. But here we are. Worship team, you want to come on up?
Today is the day of our salvation. I just pray that we will not co-opt the truth, the revolutionary nature of the gospel for our own designs to maintain the status quo, but we'll see it as the most powerful evidence of a Jesus that is always arrayed on the side of those who are marginalized. Always arrayed on the side of the prisoner. Always arrayed on the side of the criminal who may not be so criminal. He may just look like me and be nine times more likely to be locked up. That we will take all these things and realize that they find hope in Jesus. And I just thank you, Father, today that as long as there is today, there is time left. For us to be your mouthpieces and to answer the cries of so many. I pray, Father, that you would give us moments to reflect on the standard that we would like to live under. Is it one of hope, of love, and joy, and truth? Or is it one where we maintain that nothing is wrong and there's nothing we should change? Thank you that you have equipped us as your blessed and dearly beloved children to see this world change and transform. And as you teach us to be a people who embrace justice and embrace the reality of the world we live in, that we should do so with hearts understanding that it was you that did it first. And I just thank you for that, Father.